Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, UVP's FX podcast. I'm Peter Kinsella, Global Head of FX Strategy at UVP. And today I'm joined on the podcast by Laura Cooper, Senior Investment Strategist at BlackRock. Laura, thanks very much for, for coming on. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Very, very welcome. Um, Laura, we're, we're going to talk today um, basically about the overall outlook, I guess, for the major currencies. And um, effectively, I suppose it's, you know, we'll start where, where we have the most interest, which is, of course, on the, on the dollar. Um, a huge variety of views on the dollar from, you know, from all around, many strategists and, and indeed from the investment community. Many saying it's overdone, it's too expensive. Others saying that we're kind of in a new cycle and the Fed's going to continue to hike. And um, I guess, really, what are your thoughts on, on, on the Fed? What are your thoughts on the dollar? And where, where do you think we're kind of going to go from here? Well, great. Yeah, it's a great question to kick off with. I think certainly, you know, the magnitude of the dollar strength that we have seen here today is unlikely to be repeated. But at the same time, I do think there is scope for some further dollar strength, largely on the fact of what we're coming seeing come through in terms of the data. So the U.S. data continues to defy this narrative of a U.S. recession. And then when we overlay that with a Fed who is quite keen on actually curtailing inflation and they're willing to actually let economic costs arise on account of that, we do think that there is more front-end repricing that could act as a key tailwind for the dollar. Now, I think it's probably a case of you know this broad dollar strength across the board over the coming quarters is probably not going to play out so much is probably be a little bit more selective in terms of those currency pairs. That's kind of, it's interesting because I guess really we have this, I guess, a, a really big dichotomy in the data that we have at the moment, where if we look at the PMI data, the ISM data, really, really screaming recession signals. Likewise, we've got a deeply inverted US yield curve, again, kind of flashing all the traditional warning signs. But then we have the uh, the NFP data from the States, um, you know, for, for July, which was really, really good. And um, you know, trying to square that circle is hard, and I, I guess it, it, it doesn't make the, the Fed's job much harder. So, in that context of sort of this, you know, data dichotomy, do you see the Fed, you know, kind of surprising to the upside with, with rate hikes, or do they just continue with this sort of fifty bit rate hike that we, we, we kind of have penciled in for September? So we actually are leaning more towards a 75 basis point hike in September because we do still think that inflation, yes, it's likely at peak inflation in Q3, but it's going to be this case of this rotation from goods inflation to services inflation, which tends to be a bit more stickier. So we do think this environment of elevated inflation is going to persist. So we actually see the terminal Fed funds rate close to the 4% mark. And if we look at what was percent, so we do think there is, is scope for, for further upside there that's going to feed into the dollar. I think it's though a key question of when will that dovish pivot potentially come through from the Fed? And as you alluded to, you know, it's hard to actually see that in the near term, given the strength of the labor market. So we're likely going to have to see a material rise in the unemployment rate for that to materialize. We don't think that's going to happen until probably Q1 of next year, at which point we would expect to have a little bit more dollar depreciation start to feed through yeah i guess that that makes a lot of sense so really for, from from your perspective you can you kind of see a little bit more kind of the last this is the last kind of uh, the, the last dying gasp of the dollar uh, the dollar bull, bull move that we've seen over the last uh, year or so um I, I guess consistent with that then i mean what are your thoughts say for the likes of dollar yen so we, we've seen obviously the japanese yen it weakened very aggressively between sort of march and and july of this year and then recently to, to, to have a slight, a, a, a slight down move. Um, we've got the Bank of Japan continuing with uh, their yield curve control policy and their QQE policy. 
which for our listeners basically means that the, the Bank of Japan is continuing to, to print money uh, by quantitative easing, uh, unlike all of the other central banks, which are, are you know, aggressively sort of uh, toning down or dialing down their, their QE. Um, if, if you're the Bank of Japan now, what, you know, what, what are you going to do? You've got, you've got some, some problems, obviously. You know, inflation is getting incrementally higher. They're importing quite a lot, quite a lot of inflation by the, the, a weaker currency. Um, if you're the BOJ, would you abandon this yield curve control uh, program, or you know, what, what are your thinking? What's your thinking on it? Well, I think I mean that, that, that there's a lot of stuff to unpack in that question. I think in the first part, you know, we don't anticipate that the Bank of Japan is going to yet kind of back away from yield curve control at this juncture. I think if anything, the fact that we have seen a slight rebound in the Japanese yen over the past few weeks really kind of probably adds to the resolve to maintain that type of easing monetary policy. But I think as we go further out to Q4, it's probably going to be a key differentiator in the sense of, you know, will they start to see yield curve control exit, at least to start to debate it, which is probably what we're likely going to see. But I think there's probably a number of factors that they're looking at. One is, you know, can inflation be actually sustained is a key move for, for that exit. But as well, we're likely going to need to see an easing of those COVID travel restrictions. That's been another kind of a headwind for the currency there. So I would expect probably later this year, we're going to start to see a pivot there. But in the near term, given that US rates continue to be the dominant driver of the pair, I would expect a further yen weakness. Okay, so it's basically the dollar still in the driving seat when it comes to dollar yen. Um, I guess then if we pivot then to, to the Eurozone, and we've got a, a really interesting setup for, you know, from, a, from a, I, I guess from an FX strategy perspective where We've got the euro at pretty much 20-year lows. Um, we've got the ECB raising rates, trying to you know come up with a program um, to you know to maintain or to rein in Italian uh, Italian yields. Um, what do you make of all that? Um, do you think there are ups there are, there are potential upside risks to the euro? Uh, and if if there are, what, what what do you see those as being? I mean, our base case right now is that the ECB is going to continue to tighten. I think the 50 basis point move last time was quite a surprise, but we do expect another 50 basis points to come through in September, largely on account that they are data dependent. Inflation continues to surprise to the upside. Yes, it is largely driven by food and energy, but they do want, want to actually get to neutral quite quickly and then ease off. Now, we think they're going to really struggle to deliver on that. If anything, the 50 basis points is likely going to be a one and done. Uh, we think they're going to, to materially struggle to get to anywhere close to neutral. So that's going to probably act as a key headwind for the currency, notably given that markets are quite aggressively priced for the ECB. I think in terms of an upside surprise, we'd likely have to see U.S. growth deteriorate quite significantly because I think a, a European recession is largely baked in. It's, it's the base case now. And we are starting to see you know, activity data start to suggest that that is the case in Q3 and possibly Q4 in our view. So I think it's probably dependent more on the U.S. than it is coming from, from Europe. I think, if anything, the downside risks are, are quite prominent. Not, notably, if we think about the energy crisis that's really yet to materialize, which we expect to pick up momentum in the latter half of this year. Yeah, it's, it's, been, interest, it's been an interesting trade because certainly looking at the euro, we've had, you know, it's, it's bad news after bad news. You know, initially increasing concerns about peripheral yields, then, of course, the energy crisis, et cetera. And um, your dollar just refusing to go below 102 in recent months, right? Um, it's it's quite interesting. It's been a very resilient, you know, it's been surprisingly resilient, I would say, despite all of the uh, the negative news. And I suppose one thing I noticed was that um, investor positioning, you know, from the, the futures data, 
hasn't really been in any way short the euro in, in significant size. So it's, it seems that everybody's talking about it, but no one's really putting position on, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, moving then to, to sterling, where of course we've got a you know a, a huge uh, level of short positioning and, and indeed a, a very interesting policy setup. With the Bank of England last week raising rates to 1.75%, the first time in I think 27 years we've seen a 50 bit rate move from the BOE. Um, the BOE gave, uh, I would say, a, a bit more clarity than usual uh, on what they're likely to do. I'm um, just wondering what you think about the BOE, what they're doing, and, um, and I guess what, what you think the, uh, the outlook for Sterling is over the medium term. Yeah, I mean, certainly last week's meeting was quite surprising in the sense of, you know, I think less so about the rate hike itself, but more about their forecasts. I think their growth forecasts were exceptionally dismal and probably more reflective of reality than what we've seen from other central banks come through. So, you know, in our view, they're likely going to continue this aggressive stance because what we've seen is just this change in, in the central bank reaction function. So previously they were saying, you know, they need to see signs of persistent inflation for them that, that they could then forcefully act. But what we're seeing now is actually the near-term outturn in inflation is more worrisome. So that does suggest that they are going to be more aggressive in the near term. But actually, interestingly, on the back of that, that BOE meeting, we did have front-end yields actually come under pressure. So that does suggest that a typical tailwind in this type of hiking environment is no longer the case for sterling. So I think given the growth forecast, given that we have yet to see a lot of the data really materially show that downbeat view, we're likely going to see further sterling downside potentially you know the 118 mark testing those july lows again against the dollar is probably our base case at this point yeah i think that that certainly makes um makes a lot of sense from my perspective and, and it's something that you know i've highlighted as a risk to investors for, for, for quite some time and um, i guess really on, on the boe and, and indeed the other central banks we're kind of seeing the death of forward guidance, right? Which is, you know, this this, this um, policy uh, designed by your own Mark Carney that when he was at the Bank of Canada, um, and in, indeed this idea of telling consumers, or you know, in particular, and telling the public, we're going to keep rates low for a very long time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it seems as though that the data is moving so quickly, particularly inflation data, that um, forward guidance as, as a tool is, is no no longer really useful. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, that is the case, right? These central banks are now in this environment where they're clearly data dependent. So they have no choice really to be meeting by meeting basis. And I think that's why we are seeing the type of rates volatility that we are seeing, because essentially, you know, bad news is good news when we see you know certain data points come out because markets are betting that central banks will actually pivot sooner than, than their current commentary suggests. So I think it's going to be quite an interesting dynamic leading up to those September meetings and, and data is really the key driver of market volatility. Indeed it is. There's, there's an awful lot going on. So I, I guess if we could sum it up then, Laura, um, we think you're, you think that you're going to see the last kind of gasp of, of dollar strength in, in the coming weeks. Um, sterling likely to weaken over the medium term and the end, you know, possibly short term weakness, but longer term appreciation potential. Would, would that be a fair reflection of your views? That's a fair reflection of my views. I'll have to see what the data comes through and adjust as, as needed. But yes, that's a good summary. That's great. Well, there you go. Well, Laura, thank you very much for joining us on, on the podcast. And we look forward to having you again in the future. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners.